Okay, so we're going to open things up with our scripture reading for today, and it comes from 2 Thessalonians 2, and it reads, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless, lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all powers, signs, and lying wonders, with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish, because they who do not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved, and for this reason God will send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie, that they will all be, excuse me, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay? So today we are going to be talking about the Antichrist, or the beast, or the abomination, as referred in Daniel and Revelation. And I wanted to start off with something that I remembered, oh my gosh, close to 37 or 38 years ago. And... I had heard through the grapevine of several Christians at the time that the Antichrist was discovered. His identity had been revealed. And it was none other than Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Ronald Reagan at the time, people were saying, was the Antichrist. Well, all the signs were there, right? I mean, he was ruler of Babylon. At that time, many people thought the United States was Babylon. He was our president, our ruler. He was into the occult, you know, into numerology and things like that. And the most important sign, his name, Ronald Wilson Reagan, six letters in each of the name, 666. So there, there's the beast. So, uh, of course... Time would later tell the tale. And, of course, he was not the dreaded Antichrist. The, the world did not go into the tribulation period during that time. And later on, he would um, be out of office, and then later he would, he would die. And not by the hand of God, but by the illness therein. But it goes into playing, and... What I really wanted to cover mostly in this message is going over the qualities and traits that are there, but also going into misreading of prophecy. And that is done by a great many Christians, and myself included. And what we have to remember is that many Christians, myself included, make a very common mistake when reading Bible prophecy, and that is we tend to take the words of the author and apply it to the culture of our day without thinking of their culture and what certain imagery might mean. When we run across the passage that we can't make heads or tails of, its meaning will fill in the gaps with what, what the author might have meant. And getting into eschatology, and that's a fancy-schmancy word meaning uh, the study of end-time prophecy. Um, we run into that all the time. Um, going back into Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry is um, 
a very famous commentator on the Holy Bible. He wrote commentary on everything from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. He wrote his commentary. Now, there is a very famous end times passage within Isaiah 66 that talks about the birth of Israel. You know, and Isaiah paints an image of um, shall, a, shall a child be given birth to in one night. And I'm not even going to go any further than that because I don't want to misquote the scripture. But it's in Isaiah 66. And many believe, believed now that that means the birth of Israel, which happened May 14th, 1948. And what, what Matthew Henry See, Israel wasn't around then. Israel was, uh, uh, there was, the Jews were scattered. So his commentary on that particular passage basically states of what happened in past history. So Matthew Henry had two problems, one that he could control and one that he couldn't control. The problem that he could control was the fact that he read Bible prophecy in the mistake that many read it. He reads it in the form of an allegory. Now, there is allegory within the Bible. The, the examples of that are the parables of Jesus Christ found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Allegory is like finding a greater spiritual truth within a message. We have the parable of the sower. Okay, That's not meant to be taken literally, but it's meant as an allegory so that we can understand a greater spiritual truth. That cannot be, that method of interpretation cannot be applied to prophecy. Prophecy is meant to be taken literally. And even though they use imagery that may seem strange to us, imagery, as discussed in a previous message, is always explained. Always explained. Well, Matthew Henry, if he had lived now, especially past the point of Israel, that part in Isaiah 66 where he talks about the birth of Israel, I imagine he probably would have taken his pencil, erased what he wrote, and wrote down what it was because... Literally, overnight, a birth of a nation happened at that point. <clears throat> and so, this type of misinterpretation goes on today with regard to prophecy. It was thought that the ten horns of the beast, the, uh, the beast is found in Revelation, is found in the book of Daniel, might have meant the countries of the European Union, the EU. But many are thinking now, well... The EU is not really at full strength as what it was, you know, as it once was, so that may not be it. Now others are thinking that the horns of the beast are actually um, Marconi's coalition of the willing, and where they're a ten-nation coalition to help stamp out um, unrest that might happen in the European Union, and that's a very recent thing. But the problem with that, again, lies into trying to fit culture that we are living in now that we can understand into Scripture. <clears throat> we can't do that. When we run across a question in prophecy, especially whenever we're talking about the beast, or especially whenever we're talking about other end-time stuff, we have to rely upon visions that are already interpreted, and then whenever they're not, we have to say, okay, I don't know what this is. A very famous example in the book of Revelation is the 666, the 666. We don't know what that is. You can go into the Greek. There's no mention of it in there. You can go into the ancient Hebrew. 
nothing that's there. But a lot of people have speculated with regard to that what it may mean. Okay, it means um, credit card numbers. I can remember eschatologists during the early 80s saying, well, that's your credit card number, okay, That because the world's governed by credit cards or will be. Okay, well, no, that's not it. Some people thought it was barcodes, UPC codes, okay? They thought that we would be having a barcode on our forehead or on our right hand or things like that. Well, no, that's not it either. Um, some people thought it was RFID stuff. That's the big prevalent thing that's going on right now. Um, and you see articles and videos of people having RFID chips embedded in their hands to gain access to buildings, to be able to get money out of the ATM. I mean, yeah, that can look like it, but we don't really know because we're trying to fit what we think that it is by what the author might have meant. The whole point of that particular passage is that, I mean, put aside the 666, there's going to be an economy that is going to happen. And we can read that from the standpoint of the false prophet who works in tandem with the beast. There's going to be an economy that is going to be controlled by the Antichrist and be regulated by the false prophet. We don't know what that 666 means. So we should not look at that and say, okay, this is what it means based on what I've seen in culture. We can't look at it like that. Otherwise, we're running into the same problem as Matthew Henry, running into the same problems that Christians back in the 80s said about Ronald Reagan. We're trying to fit things in to imagery that we don't really know what that is at the particular time. Now, we should always keep in mind that prophecy, as I said before, it will happen. It will happen. It's already happening right now. I mean, if we've read the papers with regard to the Middle East stuff, we're seeing attacks that are happening on Israel. We're seeing a lot of stuff coming into play that is really incredible. So why look at prophecy with regard to the Antichrist? I mean, if we remember from last week, I talked about the rapture, how the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation, how we can look into the Old Testament, into the plagues of Egypt, into Noah, into Abraham, into Lot, into a little mini rapture with regard to Enoch and Elijah, and we can see within God's nature that he takes the righteous out of the way before he dispenses judgment on a particular area or the earth, we read about that. So what's the point of learning about the Antichrist? We're not going to be here, okay? We're not going to be here at all. It's meant for us to give people a warning who are here. I'm recording this right now, and I'll be uploading this podcast as well as I've already published the webpage with all of the criteria, all of the characteristics, all of the actions. I'm doing this in the hopes that later on, whenever the tribulation is going on, maybe someone will see this and be clued in as to what's going on during that tribulation period. We are meant to give this as a warning. But the Antichrist isn't going to be here. He's not going to make himself known while the restrainer is here, and we go back to this passage, we go back to 2 Thessalonians 2, 7, and we see this part here. We, we can derive three things from this particular passage. One, the, mis- the mystery of lawlessness. That means the spirit of the Antichrist has been at work since the very beginning. 
He's been at work since the very beginning, and we can find passages in that in 1 John and in 2 John that talks about that there have been many antichrists who have gone out in that day and who still continue to go out. Antichrist simply means one who is against Christ, the opposite of Christ. So that spirit is floating around in the, in the principalities, in the air. He's floating around right now. <clears throat> but the only thing that is keeping him at bay is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that is indwelt in every single believer. If we remember from last week, I talked about that the Holy Spirit inside believers is like stink to demons and to Satan. It stinks to them. They can't stand to be around it. But once the rapture happens, we're out of here. That restrainer is gone. And here comes the Antichrist. Until the he who is now restrained is taken out of the way, the rapture, meaning the rapture, the beast will not come to power. And then once that rapture occurs, the man of lawlessness will be revealed. He will come out of the woodwork because there's going to be chaos. Either, I mean, there are going to be Christians that are gone. They're going to be taken up. In whatever form that is, we talked about that in the rapture. And you can go back and look at my past posts with regard to that. But there is going to be chaos that's happening in the world at that time. Now, he will come onto the scene and he will give people hope. He'll give people a direction at that time. But people are going to be made to believe a lie. Not just any lie, but the lie. And of course, that's referring to, and this is getting into my speculation, and you need to delve into Scripture with that, whenever the Antichrist declares himself that he's God in the third temple. That's the lie. And that's the one that people are going to believe. Even atheists who don't take up Christ, they're going to believe it. Because he'll give, them, he'll give them delusion. God is going to give them delusion during that time. So, what can we get from this? He will give us, the restrainer gives us the incentive to be able to go out and talk about the beast. To be able to talk about the Antichrist. Not to give him glory, but to give people a warning. To give people a warning. And we find out the characteristics of the Antichrist, we have to tell them to the Old Testament. You can't just take Revelation on its own. Because the Revelation in chapter 13 starts talking about the beast rising up out of the sea, the beast that rises up out of the desert or the land, and we get a whole lot of imagery going on. Well, that imagery is explained in Daniel. It's explained in Daniel what each one of the horns mean, what each one of the crowns mean. We don't, we don't have to look towards interpretation. It's explained right in there. And I honestly think that replacement theology, which is very prevalent, replacement theology basically says Israel's no longer the um, chosen people because of the new covenant. We have a new covenant through Jesus Christ and we're grafted onto the tree, but as we talked about, the tribulation period has been known in Jeremiah as um, Jacob's distress or Jacob's sorrow in some translation. That means Israel. That means that during that time, God is going to be working on Israel during that seven periods, the seven years to get them closer to Jesus. Replacement theology gets a lot of Christians out of the Old Testament. A lot of them hand out New Testaments. You know, you've seen that, which is good. 
I have no problem with that. I mean, it's, it's a lot easier than handing out a big old, you know, thick Bible and stuff. I understand that. But you can't get the whole picture of God's plan, of God's nature without the Old Testament. You can't do it. It is impossible because only through the Old Testament are you able to find out what's going on in the Millennial Kingdom. Only in the Old Testament are you going to be finding out what happens afterwards. Only in the Old Testament are you going to be able to find out more qualities about the Antichrist than you would in just studying Revelation. If you're studying Revelation only whenever you're gaining an idea of who the Antichrist is or end-time prophecy, it would be like each one of us looking back at that stained glass and only looking at the red glass and ignoring all the rest. It takes all of it to piece it all together. So, replacement theology, I'll just go ahead and say it, it's straight out of hell. It's Satan's word, and a lot of Christians are listening to it. It is straight out of hell because it is keeping Christians out of the Old Testament. It is keeping Christians from seeing prophecy that is unfolding. A lot of replacement theologists believe that we are in the millennial kingdom right now. They believe that things are going hunky-dory, and I'm like, you are so blind. Look at the paper. Look at the paper of what's going on, and look at how prophecy is unfolding right now. So, we take it upon ourselves to understand prophecy, to understand the qualities of the Antichrist, to not, not necessarily scare the hell into people so that they'll accept Jesus, but to give the whole story. You know, Jesus in his Olivet Discourse talked about prophecy. And at the end of Matthew 24, he told his disciples, you know, not only to go out into all the world and preaching the good news, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but he also said, teaching them all that I have taught you meaning teaching disciples. He was speaking to his disciples. And so when the later on disciples, just as us, would come to the cross, we are to teach them all that Jesus taught. And Jesus taught about prophecy. And if we believe that Jesus is God, the author of the word, then that means we got to teach them about all of it. We got to teach them about all this stuff. And a lot of people don't like reading prophecy, not only because of the imagery, but because they look at it from the standpoint of gloom and doom. Gloom and doom. I don't want to hear any gloom and doom. You know, and it's like, well, gloom and doom for the lost. I can understand that, but everything's getting restored at the end of this. But before it gets restored, we've got to go through this. We've got to go through God's plan to be able to bring as many of the Israelites to Jesus Christ as possible, and it will happen during this tribulation period. It will happen during this time. So let's go over a little bit. And in the material that I'll have posted on the Facebook page, along with this sermon, there I'll go through all of Daniel and all of Revelation that mentions the Antichrist. And I'll go over it into the character traits and how he will come into play and how he will come into existence. So let's go into a small list of the qualities and traits of the Antichrist. Now, we have to keep in mind, too, with this list, you'll see question marks that are off to the side. These are question marks that whenever I read them, I really didn't know what they were talking about. But I am not going to put my particular culture 
into what this means. I leave that up to the Holy Spirit to guide me at a later point or to guide the reader as to looking at this. But this is what it reads. He shall be a king that won't start up with a lot of power, but will grow into it quickly. Okay, so he's going to be behind the scenes guy. He, he's not going to start off. In fact, another passage within Daniel reads that he will not have a title of ruler. He won't have a title of ruler. So anyone looking towards our, like our president, I know there are a lot of people who look at Donald Trump as the Antichrist, and it's true, he does have some of the qualities there, but it ain't him. It's not him. Because Daniel said he's not going to have a title of ruler. He's not going to have that title, so it's, it's not him. And plus, we're still here, so he's not there yet. He will attack an army from the sky and space. Now, whenever you read it on the line, you'll read through Daniel, and you'll read that. And to me, that's a curious passage. That's very curious. Okay, what does that mean? Does that mean, because he talks about, Daniel talks about the heavenly host, okay, now, we can get the imagery from passages in Exodus and within Genesis and with Deuteronomy. We're talking about host, meaning a large number of people. Heavenly would mean from the sky. Okay, so are they talking about an air force? Or are they talking about like literal angels? We think of the heavenly host as angels. I don't know. I have no idea. The thing that I can say from this standpoint is that it will happen. But I don't know what that means. So I am not going to be like Matthew Henry. I'm not going to be like a lot of Christians and I'm not of, of yesteryear and today that try to fit something in there. So I'm just going to leave it as is. He, but he is going to attack a heavenly host. It's in there. He will have a strong face, a face that will have a strength. Okay. What does that mean? Does that mean that he's going to be good looking? Does it mean that he's going to be fierce looking? You know, you've seen people that have a strong face, chiseled, chiseled jaw. You know, their, their face exudes a type of strength. Will he have that? I have no idea. It's in there. So I'm stating it as a quality. He will understand parables, riddles, and hidden meanings of things. And see, the original King James has this passage as dark sentences. Okay, so many have taken that to meaning he's going to be in the occult. And to be sure, later on in Revelations, we read that the, the dragon, the, the Antichrist, and the false prophet will conjure demons, basically frogs coming out of the river, to gather people towards Armageddon where they will make their final stand against Jesus and, of course, lose. So we can assume correctly that he will be into the occult. But dark sentences, what that is meaning in the original Greek is parables, riddles. In Jesus, that same word in Greek is used when applied to Jesus. Parables, riddles. That doesn't mean that it's bad that Jesus is the Antichrist. No, it just means that that particular phrase, that he, he's going to say strange stuff. He's going to understand strange things. He's going to understand riddles and, and he's going to understand these paradoxes, these mysteries and things that are going on. I don't know what those are, 
but I'm not going to add my commentary to it. I'm simply stating a quality that is going to be there, okay? And we have to look at also the false prophet. Now, the false prophet, from the standpoint of end times, is only mentioned specifically within the book of Revelation. Now, the false prophet, you've got the Antichrist, the beast, that is sort of the strength and the power. Well, the false prophets, like the way that I'm reading it, and, and again, I'm stating how I'm interpreting it, the false prophet I'm seeing is he's kind of the marketing guy. He's kind of the guy that's going to set some stuff in motion. So the false prophet, along with the Antichrist, he is going to perform great signs and wonders. Okay, I mean, the stuff that he's going to be able to do, it's going to look like a miracle to these people. He exercises the authority of the first beast. He makes everyone in the world uh, worship the first beast, the Antichrist. Okay, so there I can understand why people are looking at, okay, we're looking at a new worldwide religion that's going on. Um, he can make fire come down in heaven in front of people as well as other signs. This false prophet, he makes, he makes the people of earth build an idol and its representation of the Antichrist and brings it to life. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. So they're having him build, I mean, the false prophet's going to build an idol and going to have the people build an idol to the beast and he's going to bring that thing to life. It's going to be able to speak and anyone who doesn't bow down and worship, it's going to get killed. And he's going to set that up, at the, up that infrastructure. He uh, will set up the mark of the beast, and quite possibly that is referring to the economic structure at that time. But I don't know. I have no idea. I just know that he'll do it. I know that it's going to happen because past prophecies have happened. But that's, that's what it's going to be. So we have to keep in mind that that is the false prophet. These are the things that he works in tandem with all of these. And these are the qualities that he has. These are the actions that he will do. We have to keep those in mind. And they are going to work in conjunction. It's a sort of their version of the Holy Trinity. You know, the dragon being God in his mind and all of that. It's interesting that um, the quality of the of the Antichrist is going to be that he is going to be worshiping forces, an unknown God, you know, a God that neither his fathers or the people knew before. And um, the Greek gets into fortresses, uh, strong fortresses, that sort of thing. And a lot of the commentaries say that he worshiped, you know, that he'll be worshiping Jupiter. Jupiter is often commentated to the original Greek word. And, of course, people can look at that and look at Marconi, like I said, again. And this is the thing. Do not walk away from here and say, well, Robert Weimer said that so-and-so is the Antichrist. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that there are several, several instances that people are doing stuff that are near the leaders that are kind of funky and weird. They're kind of weird. But they cause me to really look at um, what's going on. But again, we can't look at prophecy and try to fill in the holes with our own understanding. That's really the length and breadth of this message. The qualities are going to be there online on our church's Facebook page. You can look at the scripture and you can look at the bullet points that I've done. And there are many. 
There are many. I mean, it, it, it goes over the actions of the Antichrist. It goes over what he is going to be doing. It goes over his characters, his demeanor. He is going to be a very fierce individual. Now, one of the characters of him and his kingdom, which speaks specifically to the idea that he has yet to come, uh, and a lot of preterists, those are people who believe that all of the prophecies have been fulfilled and we're living in the millennial kingdom now. A lot of preterists believe that Nero was the Antichrist, that he was all that. But we have to take into consideration what it reads in Daniel, that he will be an individual who is unlike any other ruler that came before. He will have a kingdom that is unlike any other kingdom to before. Now, Nero... He was a different dude and a pretty bloodthirsty one at that, but he acted like all the other kings before him. Rome was like all the other kings, or like all the other kingdoms before it. May have operated a little bit differently, but it was pretty much the same. We're living in an age now where if he were to set up a kingdom, it is going to be way different than any other kingdom that came before. And I mean, from the standpoint of sheer money, I mean, if, if the whole thing with what eschatologists say is true, and I'm inclined to agree that there will be a new worldwide economy during the tribulation period, the kingdoms that happened before, even, even during Hitler's time, and I know a lot of people thought that Hitler was the Antichrist, and by golly, he had a lot of the characteristics thereof, but they worked with Marx. They worked with money. They worked with some form of tangible currency, same way with Rome, same way with Genghis Khan and his kingdom, same way with Napoleon. I mean, a lot of people thought Napoleon was the Antichrist, same way with all that. But right now, we're getting away from cash. We're getting away from checks. We're getting into credits. So that, that gets into an aspect of the future kingdom that is going to be completely different than what it was back then. So prophecy is yet to be fulfilled. And, and this is the thing, too. We can't ignore the Old Testament. We can't ignore the New Testament whenever it comes to prophecy. And in telling the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, we have to tell the whole story. And the whole story is this, and I've mentioned it several times, and I will continue to mention this. We have a deadline. We have a deadline as Christians. We're going to be out of here. And then... The only ones that are going to be able to hear the word are going to be the Jews. Contrary to the Mark LaHaye things. Because I can look back in the Old Testament and look at King Saul whenever the Holy Spirit was removed from him and looked at how that man, what that man became. I mean, as I mentioned in several lessons, he, he tried to kill his own son. He tried to kill David by throwing a spear at him. He went into the occult. He went against his own law and sought after a witch of Endor to find out what was going on. Imagine that on a worldwide scale with all the people that are going on. And it's only going to be, and this is again my supposition, it's going to be the 144,000 evangelists, the Jews that are going to be coming out of it, talking to other Jews because God is going to be focusing on the Jews during that time we have the church age 
This is our church age. This is the, the second to the last dispensational period that we have to talk to people about Jesus Christ because we don't want our friends and loved ones stuck here because they got to be able to hear that message and then it's their choice. It's their choice. We give them the whole story. And then with all of this, who knows? You may plant the seed in someone that may start to question things. But we can't avoid this stuff because it sounds silly. Because it sounds silly. And I'll say this one final thing before we close up this message and take communion. Yesterday I wrote a pretty, pretty blazing post on Facebook. And um, there, not every Christian is like this, but there are many Christians who avoid this spiritual prophecy, this, this spirit speak, because they don't want to sound spooky. They, they don't want to scare off the natives. They don't, they don't want to scare them off. And that causes other Christians, the children who are our kids, you know, Children are the disciples of us. We're teaching them, okay? If we're not teaching kids about the spiritual things that are really going on, you know, Paul said we're not fighting against flesh. We're fighting against powers and principalities and spirits of the air. If we're not teaching them that, we're not equipping our kids to be able to go out and do spiritual warfare. We're not teaching them all the things that they need to be to be victorious. Satan and all of his qualities being one of them. Many Christians have practicalized everything. They've taken the spiritual stuff and taken it naturally. They have taken mental issues and said, okay, you need to do this, instead of addressing, hey, have you ever thought about the fact that we got sin nature going on, as well as demons and devils that know how to talk to that sin nature and being able to whisper words in our ear and all of that stuff? Have we ever talked about doing a memorizing scripture and being able to go on the attack and stand and fight off the foe with the sword of the word? No, we don't do that because many of us avoid those things because it sounds spooky, because it might scare off the natives, because it may keep people from our church and our pews and things like that. And I, you know, uh, there have been a lot of deaths in Trenton due to drugs and due to a lack of understanding with regard to um, do, of, of people's identity with regard to how they are in Christ. And not talking about the enemy is like going to a cop and saying that so-and-so perpetrated a crime and only giving a partial description. How is any cop going to be able to do their job if they only got a partial description of that stuff, of the perpetrator? So we need to know what the enemy and their tactics are. This Antichrist is going to come along and people are going to take him as what, who he is as God because people don't know the full truth because we're, we're falling down on the job, some of us, and not telling what's going to happen because we think that this stuff is irrelevant. What's the point? We're going to be up and out of here, aren't we? What's the point of it all? And I mean, it, I'm guilty of it too. And I'm going to be standing in front of Jesus after the rapture. And he's going to throw all my works on the fire. And a lot of that stuff that I didn't speak to people is going to be missed opportunities. And I'm going to be walking out of there pretty sad and sullen. I mean, I'm going to be grateful that I'm there. And I'm going to have rewards that are there along with salvation. But there are going to be a lot of things. I didn't talk about this because I didn't want to sound silly. Well, no more. No more. Because in studying prophecy, there's a deadline. And it's coming up fast. 
And soon, we're going to be gone. And can we honestly say that our loved ones are going to be coming with us or not? And I mean, like I said, the only thing that we can do as Christians is to give the whole truth of the matter. The truth in the Bible. And the Bible's right and everything else is wrong. That's it. All the other religions are wrong. All the other beliefs are wrong. This higher power garbage that we hear in therapy is wrong. All of that is wrong. What's in the Bible is right. And all we can do is tell the truth and then they make their choice. But we've got to give them all the truth. And part of that truth is prophecy. Is prophecy. Amen.